This is the motherfucking Blood Doctor Show on a Thursday. Wanted to record on a Wednesday, but life happens sometimes and things get in the way. But that has given me even more time to digest some of the most exciting news in the history of being a Suns fan. As Robert Sarver announced he was finally going to sell the fucking team. Fuck yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Now, the circumstances surrounding Robert Sarver having to sell the team, or actually not even having to sell the team, but choosing to, and we'll get into that, but the circumstances surrounding that sale suck, and Robert Sarver is garbage, he is a bad person who made the workplace unlivable for many people with racist, sexist, misogynist, probably homophobic bullshit everywhere, like just all kinds of crazy, crazy shit, and... So I'm not celebrating what happened to those people. And I'm not celebrating what they had to go through. I am simply celebrating that this fucking asshole is getting the fuck out of the NBA and getting away from a team that we all love. Those of us who are Suns fans, we are diehard Suns fans. And it is fantastic to know that this guy is finally fucking out of the picture. Now let's talk about the fact that the NBA did not force him to sell. This is a response to pressure from sponsors and from high-profile players. LeBron James, Chris Paul, and Draymond Green all came out and said, you know, this guy cannot represent our team. And PayPal said they would not renew their sponsorship with the Suns in the event that Sarver was still involved with the team. So when LeBron James speaks up and when, you know, money starts to disappear from your pockets, that's what actually caused Robert Sarver to take action. The owners did not force him to sell. Adam Silver really doesn't have the ability to force him to sell. He works for Robert Sarver. So it would be the other owners who would be forcing him to sell, which, you know, they did not do. They were fine with Robert Sarver continuing as an owner in the NBA. And Adam Silver was obviously fine with it too because he didn't like threaten to step down if Robert Sarver was allowed to own own the team. And... You know, people said, well, they forced Donald Sterling to sell. They didn't force Donald Sterling to sell. They didn't force him to sell either. His wife got control of the team through a court case. As Brian Windhorst said on a recent uh, episode of the Hoop Collective, his wife got control of the team and she sold it. So the NBA has at no point decided that they were going to force these guys out. The NBA owners have stated through their actions that they are completely fine with one of them being racist, sexist, misogynistic, homophobic, transphobic, whatever all of the allegations are. I don't know every single thing that Robert Sarver said, and I'm not trying to heap more things on it, but it's clear that he's a douchebag. So whatever, whatever all of the, it, it's, it's hard to stomach reading some of the things that were in these reports. I've read them. It just, it's hard to, it's just hard to believe that, a guy got away with saying so much of this stuff so long to people he worked with, people who worked for him. Like, it's just insane. But the NBA owners, through their actions, have said they're fine with it. No big deal. No problem. They don't think that there should be any situation where they should be forced to sell the team because they own it, right? So why should they ever be forced to sell a team, even if they victimize people, even if they hurt players, fans, employees, whoever? Who gives a shit? I'm an owner, And this is why I want to get rid of the word owner from sports and I want to get rid of owners as a concept. Get rid of managing partners. Get rid of all that bullshit. 
the players should own these teams. Okay? The teams should be owned by the players. How the management structure in that scenario works, we'd have to talk about it. I think you'd find a lot of different situations where players would be able to vote on those situations, the management structure, things like that. And you can't tell me that if players had a piece of their team, they wouldn't have more desire to stick around. Fans are so angry all the time about players leaving. It's a business, blah, blah, blah. Well, part of that is that they don't, they don't, it's just laundry to them. It's just who they're playing for this season. It's just the contract. If they own the team, it's going to be really different. Now, I'm not saying there should be no player movement or anything like that. I'm just saying that players should own the teams. There shouldn't be any rich dude who can just buy his way into this circle and then abuse people because he has money. That's not what this world is about anymore. And good for LeBron James and Chris Paul and later Draymond Green coming out and saying, no, fuck this. I'm not taking this. And especially Chris Paul, you know, he's speaking out a guy against the guy who signs his paychecks. So good for him for saying, I'm not fucking taking this. And, you know, good for them, but bad for the league. Like, this is a really bad look for Adam Silver and the NBA itself. For a long time now, we have all used the NFL as the gold standard of really shitty everything, right? The commissioner is terrible. They don't punish their players when they, like, abuse women. They don't punish the owners for anything. The NFL is the gold standard of fucking getting away with everything. But at this point, Adam Silver is coming really hard for that because they were completely fine with this. Now, you could argue that everyone in the NFL is still fine with Daniel Snyder owning the Commanders, and I would agree with that. That guy should not own the Commanders. He should be gone. And again, the NFL is the gold standard of getting away with it. But it wasn't until, you know, a sponsor pulled out that, that you know, this happened. Shalise Manza-Young is a writer um, for Yahoo, and she has pointed out several times that none of this stuff occurs until LeBron James, Chris Paul, and PayPal essentially say, we don't accept this Robert Sarver decision. And, you know, it's not public outrage. It's not Twitter. It's not the right thing. It's that, you know, big faces and money spoke up. And that changes the situation, okay? So in the NFL, no sponsors have pulled out. That's why, you know, Daniel Snyder still owns the commanders. No one cares. And Shalise Manzi-Young has, again, pointed out this out many times that until money actually... Until you actually take, you damage their pockets, these guys don't give a shit. And the NBA has just clearly said, these owners have just clearly said they don't care. It's not a big deal to them. Whatever. Those people should have just dealt with it, right? And the thing is, is that, you know, yeah, Robert Sarver has to sell the Suns and the Mercury, but what's the loss? What does he lose? He's going to gain like a billion dollars. He owns something like only 30% of the team or something, but... The Suns are going to be sold for an excess, again, Windhorse predicted $2.5 billion. So he's going to make, he's going to make like almost a billion dollars or near a billion dollars from this. He's going to make a huge profit off what he paid to own the Suns. So it's not even like Robert Sarver is hurt by this. He's going to walk away richer than he ever was. So, oh, his reputation is hurt. Well, you know what? They're still going to fucking cast your checks at whatever goddamn island resort you go to. So, like, just take your money and go away. Like, you know, and Robert Sarver releases this statement in this woke climate, my growth, you know, today's world. It's, you know, just get the fuck out of here. No one wants this dude around. We have not wanted this dude around. And it is it is exciting that he is finally going to be just away. 
gone and we'll never think of him again just be forgotten i don't even want to remember this dude's name i just want to remember this as the era of the previous son's owner before someone else came in and it's not like when some other billionaire comes in and buys the team that that's going to be fantastic i fucking hate billionaires and it's not cool that you know this is just going to be perpetuated by a new billionaire coming in and you know hopefully not creating a toxic environment but keeping the ownership structure in place but at the very least, I hope they can bring in someone who, A, creates a good environment for players, staff, um, employees, everything. And B, I hope they can bring in a you know guy or, or woman who will actually spend money and, you know, try to win. Like, I don't care who buys the team as long as they don't create a toxic environment and they actually spend their money that they didn't earn on this team. So those are the things that matter. It sucks that, again, the billionaire ownership structure will be perpetuated, but this is the situation that we're in. And at the very least, we can sit here and say, thank God Robert Sarver is going to be gone. And this is just a win. There's no way to look at this as any other way but a win. It's It sucks for the people involved who reportedly, you know, those who were harmed, you know, they're not going to get anything. They're not going to get a piece of that sale. Now, maybe there's going to be some sort of lawsuits against Robert Sarver. Who knows where that goes? I don't know if, you know, I mean, I don't know where that will go. I have no clue where that, you know, who knows if those people will be able to get anything for what they went through. I don't know. But at the very least, this guy being gone is a win. And not just because he's a cheap owner, blah, blah, blah. Suns fans are happy about that. But because he literally turned our franchise into a joke. We've been a joke for a year long now. And not because of the playoff collapse. That was horrible. But people looked at us like, how can you ignore what came out in this investigation and the way that he, you know, went on, you know, made the organization post like clapbacks to Baxter Holmes. Like this guy is harassing us and blah, blah, blah. And the way they tried to shut down other people from talking. Reportedly, his wife was like texting people, begging them not to slander him. Like this guy's bad fucking news and he tried to react and act like a mob boss, but he's a fucking loser. Couldn't do anything right and still lost his team. Good riddance. Be gone. We don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to see this dude anywhere near anything ever again. And the fact that he's like closely tied to the University of Arizona makes it even more embarrassing. You know, he's mishandled everything with the DeAndre Ayton situation. He's, you know, again, hasn't spent money. He hasn't done anything right as a basketball owner. So it's not even like he did a great job. And on top of that, he created this horrendous environment for these people. Like he's just bad at everything. I don't have a clue how this guy has any money. Fuck this dude. Fuck this dude. Fuck this dude. Fuck this dude. I am so glad that he is going to be gone. Bye. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. Sticking with discussion of basketball news. Chris Haynes tweeted a few minutes ago, about 15 minutes ago, that Ime Udoka will not be resigning his position after Woj uh, came out last night and said essentially that Ime Udoka had a consensual affair with um, a Celtics staffer um, and they have not named who she was, but he had a consensual affair with her and now is potentially facing a year-long suspension from the team. Um and again, he. some people said he might resign. He has said he will not resign. So a lot to unpack with that one. Number one, as everyone is pointing out, the NBA suspended Robert Sarver for a year for all the shit that he did. And Ime Udelka has been suspended for a year for like having consensual sex. 
give me a fucking break. Like, it is not good to sleep with people in the workplace. Fair. And it's definitely not good to sleep with someone who could be, you know, someone who works for you or works, you know, underneath you. And on on, on an NBA basketball team, basically, you know, the head coach is what, third in power behind, you know, ownership, general manager, and then the head coach. And sometimes they have more power than the GM. So pretty much everyone is underneath him. And generally, it's very bad to, you know, have an affair and obviously cheating, blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. This is not a crime. This is not coercion. This is not forced or harassment. This is just, he made a mistake. Okay, this is making a mistake. How does making a mistake lead to a fucking year-long suspension? And everyone is, you know, trying to paint him as this horrible person for cheating on his wife, Mia Long. And I just, you know, cheating is bad. It's not criminal. And it certainly doesn't ruin, it shouldn't ruin your entire life. Now, if the Celtics didn't want to have Ime Yudoka as their coach anymore because of how it looks publicly or blah, 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 whatever, that's their prerogative. They can fire anyone at any time. That's their choice. But to fire a coach who just got you to the NBA Finals in his first season at the helm, you're obviously not going to do that unless there's an extreme situation. And that extreme situation, in this case, again, it's cheating. It's not It's not an extreme situation. It's not, it's not something that warrants that. It doesn't even warrant a year-long suspension. Again, sleeping with a coworker not good sleeping with someone beneath you i understand why you may need to be punished for that but a year long suspension that's insane to me this is way too much and another example of where if a black man does something he will receive the harshest possible punishment and if a white man does something he won't because i just don't think that you know a white coach would go through this and as someone pointed out on twitter like eric spolstra is married to, I think, a former cheerleader or someone who worked with the Heat. They met while they worked together. This is, people are making an issue about this because it's an affair. And again, I'm sorry, but that's not breaking the law. It's maybe shitty and immoral and uncool, but it's not a crime. We have really got to, in this society, realize that sometimes people might do something shitty, but that doesn't make them like an abuser or a criminal, or whatever. I'm not trying to talk a lot about like pop culture stuff on this podcast, but Adam Levine recently cheated on his pregnant wife. And while that's an uncool thing to do, and everyone would agree, you're not a cool dude when you cheat on your pregnant wife, it does not make him like a rapist, and it doesn't make him a criminal. And all of these articles people are writing where they're like, more women are coming forward accusing him of flirt, like, they write about it in the language of these women are sexual victims of Adam Levine's whatever. When you do that, you water down what actual sexual assault and rape is. When you make every single thing that occurs into the worst possible version of something, then you water down the reality. Some women are harassed. They are, many women are harassed. They are abused. And those, those are actual crimes. That's a significant difference from sending a DM saying, you're so hot. I'm sorry, that's not a crime. Even if you have a, a a pregnant wife and some people are saying, well, cheating on your pregnant wife is emotional abuse. It's it's a shitty move. It's a shitty move as a partner, but it's not a crime. It's not something that should take away your career and ruin your life. And the simple fact of the matter is that, again, we're talking about consensual sex now, like in a way that is like some fucking like 
Hester Prynne shit, okay? Like, we're at a point now, like, we're supposed to be this woke society, but if anyone ever makes a mistake, we, we run to, like, just destroy their entire life. You, you can't have it both ways. You can't be open and progressive and want to, like, have people improve, but then also try to put... Adam Levine and Ime Udoka and Robert Sarver on the same level. You can't do that. You can't sit here and honestly say this person who who purposefully and repeatedly and gleefully attacked people for years is the same as these two people who had consensual relations outside of their primary relationship. You can't honestly say that. You can't honestly tell me that we're a, you know, a more thoughtful society and we're like, you know, we're at this point where we actually think about things before we take action and then tell me that every single thing is the same and we have to be as punitive as possible on all of it. Like that shit is insanity. And that's the kind of fascist bullshit that the internet loves is someone did something wrong, let's remove their lives. And that is a whole problem of the internet. And that has nothing to do with the woke movement. That has nothing to do with cancel culture, blah, 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 blah. People quite literally try to destroy anyone that they find to have made a mistake. And that's not, that crosses all lines. And you just have to be able to realize that there are nuances to situations and that Things are not always black and white. And yes, again, cheating on your wife is wrong. Cheating on your pregnant wife is worse. But they are not crimes. They are not something worthy of punishment. They're certainly not news. And it just, all of these things, Ime Udoka being suspended is news. But why he is suspended, like this should just be, Ime Udoka has been suspended for a month for a violation of the Celtics conduct policy. And that should really be the end of it. This should have been kept in a lot closer to the chest and not, you know, people shouldn't have made a big deal about this, but this is where we are in this culture. We love salacious news and we love to destroy people. And I'm sorry, but there are just varying, there are just differences in these things. What Deshaun Watson did is a hundred times worse than what Ime Udoka did. But Deshaun Watson isn't suspended for an entire year. Now, you might say he sat out last year, blah, 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 but he wasn't suspended. So I, this is just a, this situation, it's uncool, it's bad, but I really feel that anyone pushing for a year-long suspension or saying that Ime Udoka should lose his job, things like that, it's a mistake. People have affairs we don't know if this other person was in a relationship it's you know they consented like you know women have agency too they make choices as well and not everybody is a brain dead dolt who gets talked into everything all the time i'm not saying that Ime Udoka shouldn't be punished for sleeping with someone who worked for him like again we can agree that you generally should not do that but does that you, you that just means everyone who's ever slept with an employee should be fired? Is that where we're at? Because I'm going to promise you a lot of fucking people would be fired today. Like we have to decide at a certain point if we are going to let people grow when they slip up or not. This like the Robert Sarver thing. He's like, oh, you won't let me grow. It's fucking 10 years of torturing people, bro. There's no growth there. OK, this is a one time mistake. We've got to be able to see the difference here. And people are they group them together, they lump them together, and I just, I'm glad I almost waited to talk about this because I these two situations are so different, and the fact that both guys were suspended for a year is insane. These are not the same 
These are not the same. One of these is an actual fucking crime. What Robert Sarver did could be, you know, you could actually argue that there are, you know, when you like torture your employees for years and there's like retribution, there is there are laws about those things. And that stuff is really bad. What Ime Udoka did was not good and uncool, but you've got to be able to see the difference between those things. And we are reaching a point where there's no nuance to anything and it just, you've got to be able to see the difference between Robert Sarver tortured people for a decade, he's evil and he needs to be removed, and Ime Udoka is a person who made a mistake that we have often all made. Why do we all act like we don't fuck? Why do people all act like we don't fuck? Why, why is that? Why do we go in public and look at each other and be like, I had sex? I don't even, I've, I've never done that before. <laughs> what do you mean? What sex? I don't, why do we do that? Why do we pretend why, why are we doing this? Why have we reached a point where somehow we have, you know, pride parades with kink and FetLife is a popular website, and yet, like, we all look at each other and we're like, oh, <laughs> now, some of you who don't know what FetLife is are saying that I'm telling on myself, and I would say that you're telling on yourself for being lame. Now, the situation is what it is, but we've got to be able to there's just got to be nuance. I know I'm repeating myself, but I just can't believe that these punishments would be the same. There's no possible way that those things can be viewed in the same light. We all have sex. Many of us have cheated. Many people have made mistakes. It makes you a person who needs to grow up and do better. It doesn't make you a criminal who needs to lose your livelihood and everything you've worked your entire life for. Those things are very different. Robert Sarver deserves to lose his team. He deserves to have his personal reputation destroyed. He deserves to go crawl into a hole somewhere. Ime Udoka deserves a slap on the wrist. And, you know, whatever his wife wants to, does she want a divorce or whatever? That's fine. If it's the end of their relationship, I'm sure that that would be more personally harmful to him than any, you know, suspension of basketball, whatever. He's the one who made a mistake in his relationship. That needs to be dealt with at home. It's a shitty thing to do. It's not a crime. And we have just got to be able to learn to differentiate in these situations. And these things happening back to back in 24 hours, hopefully will starkly show the way that white men who actually torture people are treated versus black men who make a mistake. Look at those things being treated as the same. And I, I will show you a perfect example of white privilege. Speaking of white privilege and getting away with things in sports, it's been pointed out by a lot of people that literally nobody, especially at ESPN, is covering the fact that Brett Favre committed welfare fraud and seems to have stolen millions of dollars from the poor people of Mississippi to build a volleyball arena for his daughter. You probably haven't even heard this because nobody is talking about this story. So I'm going to repeat that. Brett Favre stole from welfare funds in Mississippi to, to build a volleyball arena for his daughter's school. And he, he committed welfare fraud. He was helped by state officials to do this. And nobody at ESPN is talking about it because they all love Brett Favre. He's their buddy. He's their best friend. But we all know what Brett Favre has done. We know that he has sexually harassed multiple women. Now we know that he's stolen from poor people. This is another example of white privilege. Now, what some of those people are ignoring when discussing the Jameis Winston situation is... Jameis Winston also went through a sexual assault-ish situation with an Uber driver, so it's not really clear that Jameis Winston is so much of a better person than Brett Favre. I'm not trying to make that comparison, but when Jameis Winston shoplifted crab legs, it was a whole big deal. When Jameis Winston 
grabbed an Uber driver, it was a big deal. Brett Favre's things, not a big deal. You know, he was able to continue playing for the Vikings after the whole dick pic situation with Jen Sterner. Nobody cared about that. And now, again, he's stolen money and nobody wants to report on it. This is white privilege. At, at its, This is a perfect example of white privilege is, you know, when a white person commits white collar crime that damages thousands and or millions of people. Again, it's like, well, that's white collar crime. You didn't you didn't like hurt someone. You didn't shoot them. That's not really crime. You just stole from poor people and made it so that they didn't have money to live. That's not like really a crime. That's what white people think. That is white privilege, like on a fucking platter served up to you. And it's embarrassing. You know, Brett Favre was a great football player, but a piece of shit as a human who, you know, cheated and went to rehab and did a bunch of drugs and did all these things. Again, a lot of us have gone through that. I think if every single person knew every single part of my life story, you guys would probably think I was a piece of shit person. I think if you knew every single thing I'd ever done wrong, you would probably hate me. Because when you're, when every single thing you do is magnified by the, the magnifying glass of the media, um, you're not going to look great. But again, there's a difference between like cheating, doing drugs, rehab. Those things are, you know, they're kind of shitty, but it's just like, it's part of life. People make mistakes. Stealing millions of dollars in welfare money so that you can build your daughter an arena. That's fucking insanity. And it's evil. And there is a difference between those things. And somehow Brett Favre was just skating by on this. Fuck this dude. I mean, there he's not going to get away with this. There are people who are involved who have who have pled guilty and flipped, and they're going to um, they're going to talk. And they have text messages from this dumbass who again doesn't seem to understand that your text messages are not a secret thing that can't be read by anyone. So this dude's dead to rights. He's not going to get away with it, but it's just insane that nobody wants to report on it because everybody loves Brett Favre so much. And you have to go to, you know, all these alternative news outlets. It's not like it's on ESPN or NFL.com or CNN or any of these places. You got to go look at alternate news to find it. It's just a perfect example of white privilege. Another example of white privilege I don't like is Cole Beasley signing with the Buccaneers. This is my team right now because of Tommy. I don't like this. You know, Cole Beasley is on Twitter all the time, spewing misinformation about vaccines, saying all kinds of crazy shit, and somehow he's still allowed to play in the league. Like, I, I just hate that. I really do. And I really think that a black player who has said all the shit that Cole Beasley has said wouldn't be in the league. Now, I mean, Cole Beasley hasn't got a look in a while, and it seemed like he was out of the league, and the Buccaneers are only signing him because they're absolutely desperate for help at receiver. But, you know, that doesn't change the fact that this guy's a douchebag and is benefiting from white privilege by being able to say whatever he wants and get away with it. And so I would just urge people to really take a look at the things that are going on around you. Look for the nuances, look for the gray area, because not everything is black and white. Not everything is perfectly clear at all times. And when you sit there and say, you're, you know, wrong and I guess I just called Brett Favre and Robert Sarver evil, so I guess I need to listen to myself on that. But I really wish that people would just look at the details before making decisions because it's not all about the headlines. It's really not. Let's actually talk sports now. Finally, Tom Brady got off the schneid against the uh, Saints in the regular season. This was a fun game to watch. It didn't go so great in the first half, obviously, but... You know, towards the end, the Bucks just started to take the ball away. And 
One thing that I hoped coming into what I presume is Tom's final season, obviously you hope for health, but I really hope that the Bucks' dominant defense would return because the Super Bowl champion Bucks had an absolutely dominant defense. You know, a couple years ago when they beat the Chiefs, you know, they picked off Mahomes multiple times. They sacked him over and over. They ate that line up. You know, that's why the Chiefs went out and spent $100 million on their offensive line after that. And last year's Bucks defense was, it wasn't as healthy and it wasn't as dominant. And you look at these first couple games, they've given up six points. I mean, the Bucks defense is back, baby, in a big way. And okay, you might say, you know, it's the Saints, it's Jameis Winston, blah, blah. I'm not taking that as, you know, a huge win. That's okay. I think the week before against the Cowboys, who then went out and had a pretty good game against the Bengals with Cooper Rush, not even Dak. I mean, they shut Dak down completely before he got hurt. So I really believe in this Buccaneers defense, and I think it is key for a 45-year-old quarterback to have an elite defense to make sure that he doesn't have to shoulder the load all season to win another Super Bowl and get this thing to eight rings. So I I really... I really was hoping coming into this season that the Bucks' elite defense would be back, and it is back. And I'm sure there are metrics. I'm sure there are statistics. I haven't looked them up. It's You can just tell by watching it because you might be able to move the ball a little bit. You know, I mean, the, the Saints' first scripted drive resulted in a field goal. They were able to move the ball downfield. But that bend-but-don't-break principle is there in a big way. They they lock down in the red zone. And more than that, as the game goes on, you can see them start to take more chances in the passing lanes, make bigger plays. They're getting it to the quarterback. The pass rush is solid. The The pass defense is incredible. Antoine Winfield is an absolute stud. Uh, Jamel Dean had an awesome interception in this game. I mean, this Bucks defense is fucking ferocious. I don't know if it's necessarily the best in the league, but it should absolutely be a top five unit. And that really is what you need to win a Super Bowl. And when you've got Tom Brady on the other side, who knows? I mean, Julio looks good, but again, he's hurt. Like it's it just, this is what I said. He was going to have, he put up numbers here and there, but he's going to be hurt. It's part of the thing with him at this point in his career. Mike Evans is suspended this week because he fought with Lattimore. And I don't know if you saw it on Twitter, but Mike Evans, there was a video of him arguing with the referee and he goes to the referee and says, what do you want me to do? It's Tom Brady. Because that's how the Bucks feel about this dude. Like their entire argument is it's Tom Brady. Like I will fight for Tom Brady. We know that's how Ryan Jensen felt. Jensen was constantly getting into it with dudes who he felt like disrespected Brady, look at them the wrong way, push him down after a play, whatever. Like Jensen was getting into it all the time. And now Mike Evans does the same. I fucking love that dude. And then after that, he walked out of the game in a retro Suns jersey. Like, I couldn't have even... I was, like, one of the happiest moments of my life. Like, Mike Evans defends Tom Brady, then puts on a Suns jersey. Like, I, like he's already got a Super Bowl ring with Tom. I love this dude. I love this dude so much. Mike Evans is a fucking badass. And, you know, this early season stuff, whatever. The offense isn't clicking perfectly. There's injuries to the receiver group. Fine we're early in the season and I understand that they went through that last year, but they had a lot of injuries as the season went on last year, this year, this team is primed to get healthy as the year goes on and their defensive back unit now has multiple years together. Those guys all know exactly where to be. They've managed to keep most of the group together, save for Jordan Whitehead, who's now with the jets, but it is honestly, 
it is a team that has a boatload of continuity, that has a boatload of talent, and that now is this year is healthy and reinforced in a really effective way. And everyone's talking about what's going on with Tom Brady, this, that, and the other, but no one's paying attention to the fact that that Bucks defense is fucking ferocious. That is a monster defense reminiscent of both of their Super Bowl wins. And I really, truly believe that this Buccaneers defense has a chance to be special and to carry this team back to the Super Bowl. Think about the NFC. It is wide open. There are not a lot of contenders. The Rams don't appear to quite be themselves, maybe. It's hard to know. Um, after a couple of weeks of inconsistent play on both sides of the ball, especially like you look at the last week, but it's like, okay, it's against the Falcons. So, Plus, if we're being honest, they damn near tried to choke that one away at the end. So you look at that, the Packers offense isn't what it once was. Again, the Saints, you know, Jameis is been decent but they don't look to be the same team that they were with drew Brees. i think everyone knows that the path to the super bowl in the nfc is wide the fuck open and when you have an elite defense the buccaneers this is the team and it is my i want this team to walk right into the super bowl i want them to face the bills because i want tom brady to go out on top shutting down the bills and crushing their hopes one last time that's what i want i want tom to beat the bills and retire I want him to retire. I want him to go out on top. And I really feel like if the Buccaneers have an elite defense this year, everything goes well. Tom can just, again, just shut down the Bills, crush the hopes and dreams of the city of Buffalo one last time. And then he and Julio can take their rings. They can walk off into the sunset together. They don't even have to make any 28-3 jokes because they want to ring together. So there's no, it's all, it's all set up perfectly for the Buccaneers. Like this is, this is the year. This really is the year. I mean, you look at, again, look at the NFC. It is wide open for Tampa Bay. Tom Brady is still getting things going a little bit. The offense is a little bit rusty, but Leonard Fournette looks phenomenal. The offensive line is a little bit in shambles with some hurt pieces, but they'll be able to figure it out by season's end. And if anybody can get the ball out quickly enough that a hurt offensive line won't matter that much, it is Tom fucking Brady. And we know that he loves the quick slants. We know that... He loves that quick offense. Scotty Miller looks to be back in the fold again. The Bucks offense is going to be fine. But if the defense continues to play at this level, this team is going to coast its way to the Super Bowl where it will face its biggest challenge of the season. No question. No matter who comes out of the AFC, the AFC is going to be a gauntlet. I mean, we know how good the AFC is. We know how brutal the AFC playoffs are going to be. The good news is whoever comes out of that should be battered. The Bucks should be able to take advantage of it and give Tom Brady number eight. And then again, let's just crush the city of Buffalo one more time and then walk away and don't give them a chance to do anything about it ever again. That in my heart is what I want. Now, I said that two years ago, Buffalo wasn't good enough to get there. Kansas City had to take the beating. That's fine. That's fine. This year, I hope it's Buffalo. I want Josh Allen to go out knowing he was never able to beat Tom Brady in a game that really, really, truly mattered. And Bills fans can... Talk about how they destroyed the Patriots in the playoffs, and that's all well and good, but you didn't do it with Tom around. And that's really all I want. I just, I want it so badly. But this Buccaneers defense is good enough to make it happen. I mean, the addition of Akeem Hicks was awesome. He's hurt now, but he'll be back. And, I mean, he is he, he is a perfect fit. Again, uh, Antoine Winfield is one of the best safeties in the league. Nobody talks about him. Uh, Devin White is the best linebacker in the game. Nobody talks about him, but whatever. People can say what they say. This defense is ready. And with Tom Brady on the other side, an elite defense, you got a really good receiving core that just needs to get healthy. 
This team is going to be scary, and they are built to win in the playoffs. They can run the ball with Fournette. They play tough defense at every level, and you've got Captain fucking Clutch, the greatest quarterback of all time, leading the offense. This Bucks team is going to win the goddamn Super Bowl, I'm telling you right now. So get ready for that shit. Few more notes. I really hope that people will stop play, saying that Tua Tungavailoa cannot play quarterback in the NFL now. Like, what more does the man need to do? Six touchdowns this week. I know he threw two picks. I know he's not perfect. But what, like, what more do we need? The man can play. I'm not saying he's the best quarterback in the league. I'm not saying that they're not scheming things to make it go well for him. But what, what more do we need to see to know that he can play? We know that he can start in this league. We know that he can ball. Okay? Is he perfect? No. Does he have flaws? Yes. Has he gotten all the way back to what he was since the hip injury? Probably not. There's still, you know, and sometimes that can take years. But the point is that people will just sit here and flat out say this dude can't play. And if you go fucking watch the game this week, I mean, come on. Tua can sling it. The kid can play. And so... Whether or not that means that he deserves a long-term contract, whether or not that means Miami wants to be committed to him long-term, those are very different questions, and they're valid questions, and they can be asked. But people are basically sitting here like acting like this dude doesn't even belong in the league or like he isn't even a starter. And yes, there were times that were really ugly with him. But, I mean, come on. You look at what he's doing right now. Now that he's got weapons, now that he's got... And, you know, an offensive coordinator around him that believes in him, things are working. So I just want people to, 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 to just fucking lay off. This dude is so like, why is nobody angry that Mitch Trubisky is starting in Pittsburgh? Like nobody's like enraged about that, but somehow Tua starting in Miami is like, oh, this guy doesn't have, well, okay. There's a lot of worse quarterbacks. Like what, like why does Derek Carr not get the ire of these people? It's not like this is Dolphins fans. Dolphins, they, they don't even have a fan base. Like, there's like six people. And one of them is some dude I went to high school with. Like, there's just not any Dolphins fans. So it's not like it's them spreading these malicious rumors about their own quarterback. It's dudes around the league who just hate Tua. And I don't really understand why. Look, we all know what he does, right? We all know that he is effective driving the ball downfield. That's why he replaced Jalen Hurts in the national championship game and led Alabama back to win. Like, we know what he can do and it hasn't been perfect over the last few years, but who knows what the hell was going on in Miami with their owners, like trying to tank the team and undercutting Brian Flores and Brian Flores, despite the fact that he was a good coach, didn't seem to believe in Tua or like Tua. So that is a problem, but now they've got a coach who believes in him. They've got weapons around him. I really think that people just need to let this season play out because we said the same thing about Tua coming into this season that we said about Jalen Hurts, right? Like, there's no excuses now. If you can't win now, there's something on you. And they're both 2-0 and they're balling. So, <laughs> just give the guys a chance. Not everyone is Aaron Rodgers. Not everyone is Tom Brady. Not everyone is Lamar Jackson. Who, you know, just just who just changes the way that we view the position or, you know, not everyone is Deshaun Watson. Who Again, I when I'm talking about Deshaun Watson, I'm talking about the quarterback, not the horrible person. But Deshaun Watson, to listen to that man break down the game, it's like listening to LeBron James talk about football. Because Deshaun will sit there and go through play by play, 
what happened, what the coverage was, what his options were, why he made the decisions he made. Go watch press conferences of Deshaun Washington with the Texans. If you, he his mind for football is is insane. Not every dude is necessarily one of these guys. Like some dudes are a Jimmy Garoppolo, some dudes are a Kirk Cousins. And the thing is, is that Tua is a I think better than those dudes. So like you want to hate on Cousins, you want to hate on Garoppolo, you want to hate on all these other guys, but you don't. You want to hate on Tua in the same way as if he doesn't have a bigger arm or do the downfield stuff better than they do. Like Tua just gets a lot of hate that is undeserved. And in this case, I think he's finally with the coach who is showcasing what he can do. And as a Jalen Waddle fantasy owner, I'm very excited. And it's it's been a great couple of weeks for them. It's only two games, but you know, that game against Baltimore, that was a legitimate goddamn win. And they shut down the Patriots. This Miami team is good. And I'm not saying that they're necessarily a threat to Buffalo, but Tua finally has the weapons, the belief, the system around him to succeed. And it's pretty cool. The 49ers situation obviously sucks. Losing Trey Lance for the season, we were all ready to debate the merits of Trey Lance as a player. We wanted to watch him. We wanted to see if we were right, we were wrong. And now it's going to take another year. But, I mean, the 49ers were bailed out of the whole situation, you know, with Jimmy. I mean, this is essentially why they kept him around. You know, it's good to have a really functional backup who's gotten you to a Super Bowl before. And I'm not sure that around that locker room that players feel like I'm sure that they feel for Trey Lance and... I'm sure that they are hurt for him, but I'm not sure they feel that this hurt their chances to win. And I don't think that you could argue that it did. I mean, I don't think that Trey Lance was necessarily ready to lead a Super Bowl contender. And this puts the 49ers where they should be. I mean, I if they had lost this week, I like I said, I think that there was going to be that discussion about potentially starting Jimmy. And now... They're just bailed out of that by Trey Lance getting hurt. And again, it sucks. I feel for Trey Lance. Um, But, you know, he'll get his job back next year. Jimmy's contract does not allow him to be franchised. So there's no possibility of the 49ers trying to, like, have their cake and eat it too and still evaluate Trey Lance by keeping Jimmy. Like, this has worked out for Jimmy. He lost some money, but he'll get some of it back through playing time incentives. And if he plays well, there's still a chance someone else could sign him. Now, I know there was no interest in him really coming into this offseason, but there was also some questions about the surgery situation, which made it why there was no interest in him early, and then he got surgery and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, who knows what would have happened if he had been a free agent. Jimmy is a middle-tier quarterback. He is not elite. He is not one of the best, but he is so much better than so many dudes who just can't even move the ball. Jimmy Garoppolo is a decent NFL quarterback. He is a starting caliber NFL quarterback. And if this 49ers team is back near the Super Bowl, you know, say they lose to Tom Brady and the Bucks in the NFC Championship, for example. Um, again, the NFC is wide open, so this is a real chance for the 49ers. And let's say that Jimmy gets them close. Someone who moves on from a quarterback after this season will consider giving Jimmy a look next year. I mean, there are a lot of teams out there who could be moving on from quarterbacks. I'm not convinced still that Daniel Jones is the guy in New York. At some point, the Titans are going to move on from Tannehill because the Titans just look to be completely falling apart as an organization at this point, unfortunately. Um, 
So there will be a future for Jimmy, I think, as a starter. It's just, what is that? And that's going to be determined by how he plays this year. If he has the 49ers back and contending, someone may give him a sizable contract to really be a starter. If he's just halfway decent, someone will probably bring him in to be the front guy while they draft someone again. So it's up to him. He's got his opportunity to earn another job next year. The fact that he can't be franchised helps him. This is it for Jimmy Garoppolo. This is the chance to prove that you can be the man. He's failed in the other opportunities he's had, but life has given him another chance. You got to take it. You got to succeed. But they are out of that red alert zone that we talked about last week. Joe Burrow, not out of the red alert zone. Um, Boy, I was all in on the Bengals this preseason with all the moves that they made. And it just goes to show that if you don't have any scouts, you're not going to do well. (laughs) The Bengals are a notoriously cheap organization. They don't employ any scouts. They don't do... They don't like send guys out to watch other teams play. They just make the coaches watch the footage and hope for the best. And, you know, it really is starting to look like that Bengals run last year was everything going perfectly. I'm still a big Joe Burrow guy. Nothing's going to change that. I'm putting this on Cincinnati's coaching. And just, again, the cheapness of not having scouts, that really is a big deal. But I said that the Bengals would be on red alert if they lost this week, and they did. Uh, Like I said, my red alert was, I think it was the Patriots, the Bengals, the you know the 49ers and the Rams well the Rams won the 49ers won the the Patriots won um the Bengals are on red alert I mean that is a real situation you start 0-2 making the playoffs is tough now you got an extra game now obviously it's 17 instead of 16 so it's still possible and there is still weakness within their division but I mean the Browns are not as bad as everyone sort of anticipated although losing to the Jets would be a counter argument to that um, but, you know, a lot of people thought they wouldn't be able to score or anything without Deshaun Watson. That's not the case. They've been able they've, they've been decent. Jacoby Brissett is a game manager at best, but he's not horrible. Again, th- that's another situation where, for example, Jimmy Garoppolo would be an upgrade. People act like Jimmy can't play, but that would have been an upgrade for them. But it's definitely going to be a very interesting season for the Bengals, because even with that Super Bowl appearance, if this thing falls apart, and they go like four and 13 or five and 12 or something. I'm not sure that that coaching staff is safe because oof, I mean, maybe, maybe so, maybe so, you know, Mike Brown is notoriously cheap and Zach Taylor did just sign a contract extension coming into this season. But I mean, right now through two games, this coaching staff looks woefully unprepared. A lot like the Colts. Like, I expected the Colts to be really good coming into this season. I was listing the Colts as another team in the AFC that could really make noise and really do something. And it really seems like they suck. (laughs) Like, I I don't know. Like, I don't care if your receivers are down. And I don't care about their history of playing poorly in Jacksonville. That Jags game last week was a fucking atrocity. And this Colts team, even with the injuries they've suffered, like, they have so much talent. And they're not utilizing any of it correctly. And they're this is this is a bad start. And the Colts are in the red alert. That's for goddamn sure. The Colts and Bengals are two teams that people thought would be really good that now you're really, really starting to be concerned about. And you know, who knows how it's all gonna turn out. It's a long season, again, 17 games. And, you know, people were worried about the Packers after week one. They came out and handled the Bears no problem. But I am looking at the Bengals. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the Colts and I'm looking at the Raiders because this is Josh McDaniels. I mean, you're close. You're not quite there. Like losing this game against the Cardinals is really inexcusable. I don't care about 
like you you can't blow games when you have leads like this like come on you can't do that this isn't college and maybe this just functions as further proof that Derek Carr isn't quite the guy because if anyone is on red alert in that situation it's Derek Carr Josh McDaniels is not going anywhere you know anytime soon with the Raiders but Derek Carr you know his contract extension doesn't it's not like doesn't have a lot of guaranteed money they could easily get out from underneath it and if they don't turn things around quickly you know those things are going to happen I mean this season has been fairly surprising so far but I don't think it's been like crazy the way things have gone like the Bengals being 0-2 is the thing that shocks me most I don't think there's anything else going on that's like out of there out of left field bonkers like I mean the Eagles are maybe a little better than even we thought like we all thought the Eagles were going to be really good um but they look awesome so like maybe the Eagles are better and I, I think maybe those two things are the most shocking thing the Bengals look really horrible the Eagles look so much better than expectations like i expected the eagles to be a good team not a great team and the eagles look like a great team they are another potential contender in the nfc the eagles they really are um and you know but let's one thing we'll shout out kyler i mean hey you know i mean the dude's taking a lot of hits but this team didn't quit they came back won this thing in overtime like you know the the Cardinals are what they are. They're inconsistent. They're crazy. And they're going to go as far as Kyler Murray can run or throw them to. It's, I don't know that they're ever going to be a contender this year. But, I mean, they're going to be fun. And this game was needed for them, though. If the Cardinals fell to 0-2 as well, like, just all the injuries, all the suspensions, everything piling up would really start to look bad for them. But this thing... This game is really something that, you know, helps them. You can look at this situation and say, all right, we're going to get back on track. And, you know, next week we've got the Rams. They're faltering a little bit. Maybe we can take them down. We can establish ourselves in this division a little bit. The Cardinals, they've, they've got it going a bit. So I'll give them that. Good for Kyler. But overall, been a pretty fun first couple weeks of the season. Tonight's probably going to be horrible because it's Brown Steelers on Thursday Night Football. And that just sounds like the over-under is 38. Yeah, I, I mean, I, and that's probably too high. Like, this game is just a disaster for anyone who likes fun football. But, hey, that's how it goes. I will be back next week, potentially with a guest, potentially without one. We shall see. Who knows? Sometimes people get sick and have to cancel at the last minute. It's okay. We love those people anyway. Take care of those around you. Make sure that they are not being harassed by a dickbag NBA owner. Make sure that they are okay. We struggle along the path of life, but we will make it through. That is what the fuck we do. Blunt Doctor out. <laughs>